0: Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, here's a question from a listener. Does God call everyone Whoa, okay, we got some biggies to take care of today. Hey, Dan Meller here, and we're going to be covering that and more questions from you, the listeners, who shoot your questions into me. Ask Dan at 48days.com. I scan those and we go through some interesting questions here just to help all of us, me included, get a handle on what the new opportunities are and how we can take advantage of those, how we can move into new ways of generating income and being fulfilled and loving our work and all those things that are certainly available for all of us. You know, this is not a time to wait until things get better. We, I, we hear that a lot. We, we kind of assume that there's some big cloud out there that has to be moved by some uh, unknown force, be that the government the church or God or whoever until our lives are going to get better. Well, that just is um, not going to be a realistic way to approach it. I mean, Brian Tracy, the the great business marketing kind of guru says, uh, you know, things get better when you get better. So we're going to look at ways that we get better. And in doing so, guess what? Things get better all around us. That's the way we're going to approach it. So the next 48 minutes, we're going to be looking at the value of our work. Now, if you've been listening very long, you know that I don't see work as just an exchange of time for a paycheck, but our work is the best opportunity we have to live out our calling to create the legacy we want to leave behind. So it goes way beyond just creating money. There's a whole lot of ways to create money. Yeah, I know that's important, but um, the irony of this is if you forget about making money and just do what you love, money will show up unexpectedly. Now I know that may seem trite to say it that way, but uh, that's as a result of hearing people tell me that hundreds and hundreds of times over the years where if they were just chasing money, it always seemed to be elusive, just out of reach. I mean, famous Dave, Dave Anderson, who has the restaurants, famous Dave now told me that in in exactly those words, he said, when he was young, he was very, very poor. He vowed he was not going to live in poverty. So he just did whatever he could to make money, just chase money. But he, it was always just out of reach and he never really kind of reached any tipping point until he gave up on that, and finally decided, you know what? He's going to give up and making money, just do what he loves doing. That mean ma- making great barbecue. And that was the tipping point. Now money just has tracked him down. But that's true not only of Dave Anderson, but thousands of other people. Some of you listening as well have discovered that. So whether it be something impractical and unrealistic, like being an artist or a musician or a carpenter or a golf player I don't care what it is, if that's the authentic fit for how God has wired you, that's your best opportunity, not only to have something that is fulfilling, but also your best opportunity to make extraordinary amounts of income. Well, here's some of the other questions we're going to be addressing today. I believe I have intelligent thoughts, but I have trouble articulating them when I speak. All right. Then I seem to be paralyzed by too much information. How can my wife grow her business of teaching music and dance? Or about this one, the nonprofit ministry where I've worked for seven and a half years just changed my position with a 22% pay decrease. What do you suggest that I should do? Dan, I've been offered a job at $70,000, but my dream is to have a website that makes money. Somebody asked, what do you think about becoming a teacher when all you hear is that they're being laid off? Well, we're going to go through those. Here's a quotation for us today. This comes from Barbara Bloom, who says, When the Japanese mend broken objects, they aggrandize the damage by filling the cracks with gold. They believe that when something suffered damage and has a history, it becomes more beautiful. Isn't that a great perspective? You see a lot of vases sometimes that have purposely been damaged. You know, we, we have a beautiful lamp that is now at our porch, but it has birds and leaves coming off of it and just really beautiful lamp. Well, one of our granddaughters pulled on the cord a few months ago and it came down and just crashed and it was pretty trashed. And I looked at all those pieces and I thought of this quotation because the first response would be just throw it out. It just was beyond repair. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to just play with that. I didn't spend hours and hours on it, but I, Used a toothpick and very carefully put some things together. Put it back together in a way that you can hardly tell. But you know what? That has history. It's now out on our porch, but it's still a beautiful lamp. You don't see the damage from the front at all. And if you look around the back, it's just a reminder. You know what? That was little Claire when she was a little girl. I'll show that to her when she's 16 years old and say, Claire, you know why that lamp has all those cracks in it? it's because when you were a little girl, you weren't being responsible. You didn't know any better. You pulled that down, it crashed, but Papa just fixed it carefully. And every time I look at that lamp, I think of you. So the the question is, you know, what are those gold cracks in your own life story? What are those things when you look back in your own life story where, ah, there's a crack, but you know what? It's filled with gold that has certain memories connected with it. And it was during that time that you learn these principles and were able to move forward with confidence, boldness, and enthusiasm. Now I got I have a principle here that I just have to share with you. I, I want to get to the questions, but I want to share this principle too, because it's so important. And the principle is simply speed of implementation. Now, a few years ago, there was a study done and company looked in a lot of companies is why is it some companies seem to really thrive and others with the same economy, same circumstances, you know, just falter. One of the things that they determine, I mean the number one principle determining business success was speed of implementation. I mean, there are companies like Hewlett Packard and Apple out there that will tell you that, 80% of the products that they have on the shelves did not exist 18 months ago. Speed of implementation. They think about something, boom, they just do it. Now, I have been, I I enjoy that, but I've also been guilty of, uh, I've been accused of being one of those who it's a ready, fire, aim, you know, where I shoot before I have all the facts, eh, correct things as we go along. I still like that kind of perspective, but here's an example of how that can work against you. We recently had a writer's conference here. And in that I had Matt Bauer, who's vice president and publisher at Thomas Nelson, the biggest Christian publisher in the world here speaking, talking to our group. He said that 85% of the products that they publish come to them through agents or already established authors. 15% are just kind of new things they see out there or people that approach them in unusual ways. We had somebody in the participant group that we had here, raise her hand and ask him, says, now you just left the door open for that 15%. What do I have to do to be in that 15%? He laughed and he says, well, you know, you really nailed me there. He said, you know, what, what I need to see is a query letter where it overviews what is your premise, what's unique about what you're going to do. Boom, 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 just, you know, reminded me of that. And he pulled a personal business card out of, his, out of his pocket and handed it to her. That was on a Friday. On Tuesday, that lady emailed and came through Ashley asking Ashley, would Dan be willing to help me craft a query letter? And I wrote back instantly. And I said, you know, you should have had it in yesterday, but I said, here's some templates. Don't make it complicated. It shouldn't be more than a couple paragraphs anyway, get it together and get it into him. Yes, I'd be happy to review it, but you know, make it happen. We are now approaching 14 days, two weeks after that occurrence. What do you think has happened to her chances in that period of time? They have been reduced dramatically, exponentially. If she would have on Monday after Matt being here on Friday, had that query letter in his hands, she didn't have to mail it physically because she already had his permission. Him having given her a personal card with his personal email on there, it could have come right in. So the first time he's back at his desk, it says, Hey, I was the one at Dan's writing workshop. Boom. I ask you this question. Here's my query letter. I mean, hot, ready to go at this point he's probably had 300 manuscripts and query letters come across his desk. I have to think back. Oh gee, well, who was that? I don't really remember speed of implementation. I mean, you, you've got to take advantage of opportunities like that. I mean, that's just a glaring example is one that I just thought of this morning and I thought, wow, it's a great example of not doing that. So remember that the number one principle determining business success speed of implementation. Well, we could go on with all kinds of other things, snoozers or losers and all kinds of cliches, but let me move on. Brian says, Dan, I believe I have intelligent thoughts, but I have trouble articulating them when I speak. Communicating my thoughts on paper has never been an issue, but when I try to hold a conversation, I'm often misunderstood. This has caused me to become insecure when I speak up and that insecurity reinforces the vicious cycle. Can you recommend any resources to help me become more articulate in my speech? Thanks Brian. Yeah, absolutely. Brian recognizing that you have that challenge is a big part of the solution, but you can correct that. When you talk, I would encourage you to do what we call in music industry. It's called a sound check, record yourself and then listen to it. So you can hear yourself and hear those things. When you falter, hear those little things that creep in. I mean, I one time worked with a salesperson and I inconspicuously began recording him. And in a three minute period, he said basically 19 times. He had no idea. It was blown away when I brought it to his attention, but it had crept in as one of those little fillers. Anytime there's a pause, instead of waiting or listening, he would just say, now basically, you know what I want to show you, Dan is this. And then basically what we're going to do is move through these three steps. And basically what the company's going to do. I mean, it was horrendous. He didn't realize it. So listening to yourself is a big start. One of the things I would encourage you to do as well is to get a hold of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Go through the ways to communicate effectively. You might even consider taking the basic Dale Carnegie Human Relations course. It's a wonderful course. It's about 12 weeks long. Help you communicate effectively. They coach you. You listen to other people. Then you have an opportunity to have two minutes to present something clearly and succinctly practice, practice, practice. This is one of those where you just practice to do it better. Another way to do this would be to join your local Toastmasters. Toastmasters groups, they're held in every city. Here in the Nashville, Franklin area, we probably have 20 groups that meet during the course of any given week. Get involved there. Again, it's an opportunity to hear others and practice your presentations, speaking skills. Another thing would be to get a speech coach. I have done that, I've had a speech coach for years now. Mine, his name is Dr. Ralph Hillman. His website is the breathe system. That's the the B-R-E-A-T-H-E system. I have him work with me on controlling my diaphragm, on standing straight or sitting straight so I don't get out of breath easily. And have had him coach me. He's brutal. If you don't have thick skin, you may not want to work with him, but he's wonderful at getting results. And he's worked with a lot of like celebrities and artists, musical artists to help them present more effectively vocally. So those are some things that, yeah, you can do to help yourself be more intelligent when you are articulating your thoughts in your speech. Kevin says, Dan, thanks for all you do. I'm currently in a nine to five job, but long to start my own business. However, I'm struggling to sort through all the ideas I have and focus on one and get started. I seem to be paralyzed by too much information. I listen to podcasts constantly and I'm always searching to improve myself, but I never seem to take concrete action on turning one of my many ideas into a real business. Please help. What do you recommend I do to get started? I just started through the 48 days book. Well, Kevin, having a lot of ideas is a great starting point. Give yourself, here's what I recommend. Give yourself, now again, a lot of you out there are going to be like this. So just kind of listen to a little formula here. You have a lot of ideas, but you don't take action. Give yourself 21 days to list any idea that you can come up with. Just list them. Nothing's unrealistic or impractical. Just list them. 21 days. Then take five days to narrow down that list to the three or four that fit you best. Then take two weeks to do some more research on those three or four, then choose the best one. Then take another seven days to create a plan for launching your business. Now these are realistic timelines. Then celebrate the beginning of your new business on the 48th day. Now I have gone through this a lot obviously with people and people that get stuck and they have a great idea and two years later they've not done anything or they have an idea for a book and three years have gone by and they've never started the first page. obviously I'm one to put a timeline with it. If you want to do something, if you want your results in life to be different, what are you going to do differently today? You can't just continue doing what you've done. So I can, I give myself timelines just exactly like I just laid out here. You can do the same. Go through those ideas, go through a process, narrowing it down, coming up with three or four best ideas, do a little research, choose the best one, boom, and launch. Just do that and don't look back don't second guess yourself. Don't start go gathering more information, move ahead, hold your head high, move ahead with confidence and enjoy the process. Jim says, Dan, my kids love silly bands and I've always wondered how they were invented. My question was recently answered on CNBC's show called how I made my millions. And I thought I would share this with you. Sometimes you don't even need to create anything. Just remarket, make millions at a trade show in Japan. Robert, cook noticed colored bracelets he thought would make a great fashion accessory. So he brought them back to the U S calling them silly bands. Sales soon took off going from a hundred packs a week to a couple of million worldwide in about six months. They sell for about $6 a pack. Well, thanks for the note, Jim. And, and you're absolutely right. Money is made not in making, inventing, creating, or even writing, but in selling. So the, people have made millions where they've never invented anything. They've never gotten a patent. They've never written a book. They just know how to sell. And the more you understand that principle, the more you can move yourself into that category of people. The money is made in the selling. You know, silly bands. I mean, who does not know and have experienced silly bands just on Saturday. My granddaughter was here and she found two in the toy box that she had to, she allowed me to pick. Did I want a lion or an Eagle? Well, I knew that she really had her eye in the eagle, so I chose the lion, and I put that silly bands on my wrist. Well, a couple of hours later, we were getting ready to go to a festival, and I just took it off and laid it on the table, and about an hour later, she looked up and she said, Papa, where's your band? Where's your lion band? She was very distressed that I did not continue to wear that. Now, those little things are nuts. All they are is a little piece of elastic, but they, when you let them on their own, they form the shape of something. And then you stretch them, put them on your wrist. Kids have do that. Money's always in the selling. I mean, a gentleman made millions by promoting orange Julius here in the Midwest. It was something he saw on the West coast and uh, it was not introduced back here in the Midwest yet or East. And he just simply got a licensing agreement to bring it back here. Made millions century 21. I mean, that started as a real estate franchise in Canada, I saw that said, wow, I want to do that in the United States. Just started duplicating it here. Again, those are very typical ways that people end up um, being very, very successful doing this. As a matter if of fact, if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, i buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million, Well, a lot of things you could do if you had a million dollars. You know, I I had just this week, somebody uh, did a blog on 48days.net. And uh, he said, think about your idea in terms of making a million dollars. A lot of people think too small. They think, well, you know, if I could make another $10,000 next year. He says, you know, why don't you just think about it in terms of if you could make a million dollars? And it was a great challenge for me because I had just the day before presented a new idea to, um, our little team here. But I said, you know, this idea looks like it really makes sense. But I said, unless we can structure it so that it really adds another $250,000 to our income next year, I really don't think we ought to add it because in being very strategic with our time, I don't want to just add new things on just to kind of, uh, hope something works. But unless we can see on paper that it's going to create significant income, then I'm not going to add it to what we do. But I thought, yeah, that's cool. Well, learn how to sell and you can open the door to all kinds of things in your life. Rose from Costa Rica says, Dan, please comment on this in your podcast. And what she did was she linked to the very, very frequently referenced Steve jobs, 2005 commencement address at Stanford, where he talked about the fact that he dropped out of college you know, he hung around college for another 18 months, even after he had dropped out, just because he liked the environment, but he wasn't going to classes. Uh, just a very cool thing about how he mapped out his success without ever completing a college degree. Now, w- when we talk about that, I mean, I have a college degree, I have a master's degree, I completed my doctoral work, I mean, so I'm, I'm not anti-college, don't ever get that Impression. There's a couple more questions here that are going to come up um, today. That uh, I'll deal with that. But don't think that I'm anti-schooling. You just have to be realistic about what schooling is doing for you. Just a reminder: if you've got a question, you can shoot your question into 48 or ask Dan at 48days.com, or you can go to the podcast link at 48days.com. There's a little starburst there. I think it's red. Click on that. I'll open up a little form. You can give us your question there, and I. Love going through the questions that you all have. Matt says, Dan, my wife has been going toward a degree in elementary education for the past year at a community college and is expected to transfer to a state university next fall. However, she has recently been considering slowing down her formal schooling to pursue her real passion of teaching music and dance. It's always been her dream to one day open a studio of her own. And I know she has the drive and passion to knock this out of the park She recently set up to teach two classes right here in our home with a local homeschool group as well. We're hoping you might have some suggestions on how to get started and grow this business. Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks, Matt. Well, Matt, it sounds like you're on the right track with growing her business of teaching dance and music. I mean, teaching music and dance is a great example of the kind of business you can start small and grow. Working with homeschoolers, that's going to give you leverage right away. So instead of just finding one student at a time, you're going to have small groups. And that's a great way to grow that, to grow your reputation, your influence, your center of uh, exposure, and also your income. And then grow your reputation by getting testimonials and referrals. Ask for testimonials from kids and their parents who have been through what you've done. And when we do right to the bank, I mean we get lots and lots of unbelievable testimonials from people who have been through that. They share their experience. That inspires others and encourages them to do the same. And that's the way you can grow your business. Get my 48 marketing tips. You, if you go to 48days.com, go to resources, you'll see a drop-down of worksheets. There's a whole lot of things there. And in there are my 48 marketing tips. You don't have to do them all, but choose which four or five you're going to do consistently and with excellence and you can grow that business quickly. Okay. Got a question here. And this person who wants to remain anonymous says I've been with my company, a nonprofit ministry for seven and a half years. Found out yesterday. My department is being outsourced. I've been offered a position in another department, but at a 22% pay raise, I also started working as a side job for now as a travel agent about six months ago, that writing a book, which my blog is a testing ground for and speaking are really my passions, but my wife and I have no savings to allow me to work on that full time. We can't afford the pay decrease, but I don't know how to make my passions pay enough now and I don't know if I can make enough elsewhere. Meanwhile, what do you suggest I do? What I suggest you do is to get another job pronto. Now, if you've been working for a nonprofit ministry, I suspect your previous pay was not that great. So taking a 22% pay cut may not be realistic. It might be realistic for that organization, but it doesn't mean you have to stay there. Don't confuse having a heart for ministry with feeling trapped in a particular job that is not a good fit for you. continue in ministry in one of thousands of other opportunities. You're not letting God down. You know, God doesn't trap you in an unfulfilling position. We do that to ourselves. So you've been there, you've done good work. The work you've done is going to continue, but don't think that you need to stay there. And if it's not realistic for you, do a job search, get in other positions, but do that. Don't put yourself in an even worse position by having a couple little sideline things that aren't generating any money yet, but you hope they will. No. Get another job as a transition vehicle. Continue your part-time things with your travel agent work and your blog, but then see that they actually are generating revenue for you significantly before you leave that real, real job that you, I'm going to encourage you to go get right now. Well, Jeremy says, I have a business idea for a website that offers information and products relating to triathlons, marathons, other endurance sports in the context of God wanting you to be healthy. My dream is to eventually convert this into a storefront with a website as financial support. It has come time in my life to make the decision to move on or take this job that was offered to me today. The job is a transportation manager for a railroad that pays $70,000 starting with guaranteed raises every year. The only issue with this is I don't think this will satisfy me. I currently work as a paramedic making $35,000 a year. What would you suggest? Jeremy, what I would suggest is that you accept that job today. You're making thirty-five. dollars This is a job where you could make seventy. dollars You want to eventually have a website that makes money, but you don't have that up and going yet. Again, it takes time to do that. Yeah, I'd say take the job and then start planning to have your website up and generating that same income in 24 months. That's a reasonable trade-off to take a job. You're going to give them two years of faithful service there. But in the meantime, see that job then become. it's much different than the way that you frame that job. It's not that your dream job. You're saying it is not. That's okay. But you've taken that knowing that you haven't put your life on hold. No, this is a reasonable vehicle doubling your income immediately. It's a great time for you to then develop those things you're doing on the side and get those up and running. So there's going full steam. Then you'll be in a position of strength to move full time to the things you really want to do. I mean, two years goes by in a blink of an eye. If you have that with that plan, you're going to take this job, double your income and you are going to in the process, build your website, and your income man! what a great transition plan you've just created for yourself. Alvin says, Dan, my brother makes my brother-in-law makes great custom cabinets for the kitchen and other rooms. He does very high quality work has done this for years of side work. However, he's never been able to turn this into a profitable business. He tried for over five years. He and his family just barely scraped by. He never lacked for work, but just could not seem to do it fast enough. And, If he raised his prices to compensate, then he was outbid. Recently, he was laid off from his regular job. I think this side work is where his heart is. What are your thoughts on what might be holding him back from successfully making this full-time job? Well, when you talk about making great custom cabinets, it is very tough to make a living with a craft that is so time-intensive. I don't have an easy solution for doing that. But what I always look for is, are there ways we can leverage The intellectual expertise that he brings to the table, that meaning if he knows how to build a great work cabinet for the garage and he puts together plans for the average guy with average carpentry skills can go to Home Depot, get this list of supplies that he suggests and build this really cool cabinet for your tools on a Saturday morning and he sells the plans for that for $8.95. I mean, then you've got something that has a potential for residual income, ongoing income, something that can make income for you 168 hours a week, you know, while you're sleeping. That's what you have to look for. To just build cabinets, yeah, I think is really, really tough. I mean, if you're if you specialize, you're going to do just uh, lockers for schools. I mean, you can get contracts to do that, but then you're competing against companies that have economy of scale and they're using low cost labor people that are being paid, you know, 10 bucks an hour. And again, you've got that to compete with, but you're in an industry. I mean, I, unless you want to go really niche, really high end, you're going to build things that nobody else is doing. Now I think there's a potential to do that, but it can't just be custom made cabinets. There's too many things that compete against you for that. It's too easy to go to walk into Lowe's and pick out cabinets that were made in China and shipped over here And you can get them for a lower cost, half the cost that you're going to be able to supply custom-made cabinets. Find something, you know, do gun racks or do children's clothing cabinets or do something that's unique niche and then do it with excellence and do those where you can pre-make them, sell them where it's not just a custom-made kind of item. I I think it's really going to be tough to make significant income doing that. Kim says, what do you think about becoming a teacher when all you hear is that they're being laid off? I'd like to become a teacher, but I'm afraid I'll be laid off or not be able to find a job because of the school systems having no money. I'm frustrated to want to spend the money on school when I may not have a job. Your thoughts, please. Well, Kim, here's my response. If the only application you can see for your passion for teaching is to find a traditional job, then I agree. I would suggest you don't spend the time or money getting a degree. But here's the way I look at getting a degree. There's two reasons for getting degrees, especially advanced degrees. One is so you get a piece of paper with the hopes that somebody's going to give you a job. Number two is for the personal growth that takes place in the process of getting a degree. If you get a degree for reason number one only, that being hoping somebody's going to give you a job, you're likely to be disappointed. There's a whole lot of people with master's degrees and... uh, geophysics or English literature who are asking you if you want paper or plastic when you go through the checkout line at the grocery store where it didn't lead to anything. They had the illusion that just getting a degree was going to magically open some doors. Now, if you can though find 20 other ways to engage your desire to teach, but without having a job anywhere, if you can do that, then I encourage you go ahead and get the degree. You'll be thrilled with the new opportunities that it prepares you for. You can work. We already, somebody here just said that they're working with homeschoolers. You can do that. You can do workshops and seminars. You can create audio products. You can uh, do instructional manuals. You can, uh, I mean, we were talking this morning, my guys group, we're going through how to win friends and influence people and talking about how just horrendous it is that kids are not being taught those simple principles in terms of human relations. I you could do workshops on that, do workshops for 20 kids at a time and charge them $697 a piece. You have mom and dad pay a, to have them come through to learn how to have, you know, how to be somebody with a pleasing personality, how to be somebody that others can get along with, how to smile, how to engage other people, how to do, go through interviews and get the job offers that nobody else can get. I mean, so there's a lot of ways that you can in, be involved in teaching and put legs on your passion for teaching. But if, if you're concerned about there's not a lot of jobs out there, then yeah, don't do it. If you see that as the only application, Steve says, now this, Hey, this is a question that we could uh, devote the next month of podcast to. Steve says, does God call on everyone? Wow. Okay. So we're going to do a complete unpacking of that. No, not going to happen. Does God call everyone? Well, you know, it has a lot to do with your perspective. I mean, this is not something that has a logical, analytical kind of answer that is definitive in any way. Certainly not. I mean, if you uh, believe the Bible, then certainly the Bible, I mean, in Psalms 139, 16 in the Living Bible. It says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. So you've got certainly a lot of affirmation in the Bible that, yeah, God has a plan for every single person. If you don't accept the Bible as true, then you just kind of have to look around and figure that out. You know, what is your image of God? What is your connection with God? I mean, to me, it leads to a pretty bland, empty life to think that we're just a physical blob. We just are born and then we die and that's it. If you believe anything about a God, then you have to believe that there's some kind of presence before we were born and a continuation of that spiritual being after we die physically here. If that's true, then it's pretty easy to assume that there must be a purpose for that little blimp on the computer screen that comprises just our earthly life. Now, whether true or not, I mean, this really comes back to, what's called pascal's wager in philosophy where he says okay what if i live my life believing that there's a god and that there's a purpose for my life that frames how i relate to other people what i want to do that leaves a continuing impact after i'm gone blah blah blah. if i decide not to believe that then at the end of my life you know there's nothing but he says really this is a no-brainer I'm better off believing that there's a God who has a purpose for my life, even if I'm wrong at the end of my life, because it will have caused me to live my life in a better, more exciting fashion. Ultimately I end up there when I have these conversations with, with people. I don't, we don't need to make this a real fancy convoluted theological or philosophical argument at the end of the day. Would you rather live your life as though there is a purpose for your life or Would you rather believe that there's no purpose? I'd rather believe that there is. So I don't need a whole lot of proof. I'm gonna live my life that way regardless. Even if there's evidence to the contrary, I'm gonna choose to live my life in that way. Now if that sounds like a small, uh, narrow intellectual path to take, then so be it. But there's a lot of things that I would rather enjoy the mystery of the unknowing than try to scratch at the surface enough that I really know how it works anyway. I mean, how do I know how a waterfall creates the sound that it creates? I don't know, but man, do I enjoy it? I don't want to know. I don't want to dissect it. So I take away the mystery of that. I want to enjoy the mystery of it. Well, you know, boy, this would be a great place for a song, but I don't know what song to play there. I have to find a song that ties in with a the theme of the confidence that there's a purpose for a life. here. I'm sure there's a thousand of them out there. Give me some suggestions. That'd be Cool. Send, send a suggestion to ask Dan at 48 dayscom I don't have one geared up here for that. Well, here, here's one. Hey, here's one we can always go back to that has a somewhat of a, The old U2 song. I guess that's a pretty good theme. But you know, even in U2, boy, well, you look at U2's music. I mean, those guys do know where they're headed. You know, this particular song has to do not with purpose in life, but uh, (laughs) as I recall more in uh, finding a girl, well, that's that's okay too, but keep looking for what you're looking for. Be confident that you can get answers and solutions that'll give you a sense of confidence in moving forward with a meaningful life. Well, Brad from Des Moines says you talk in your a book about how to do a job search, even if that means starting your own business. What do you recommend for those who start a business and now need to do a people search when the need arises? I own an office cleaning, care, for care business and can't do all the work myself, but the reputation of my entire company depends on the people that I have. Many people think that this work is undesirable, but it actually is a great part-time job for someone to do in the evenings. Pays surprisingly well. Any good advice on hiring people who make me stand out from the rest? Yes, Here's an old adage that I've always used in helping people hire properly and with success. Hire for attitude, train for skill. That means hire people who have pleasing personalities, people you don't like to be around. You can teach them to clean well. So look for people you'd like to have on your team, people you don't want to be around, and that those whose companies you're in will like to have them around as well. Now, there's a difference between managing a business and doing the work. So don't think that, as soon as you hire somebody who's really got a great personality, they're just going to take over your business or do it on their own. No, there's a lot of people who need somebody to help them structure their work day. They're looking for opportunities like this. They love doing the manual work, but they don't want to run a business. So that's not unrealistic at all. I would con- encourage you to consider ex-felons. I mean, we happen to work in that environment a lot in seeing people who have great personalities you know, I, I spoke out at the Tennessee prison for women here recently, and I was, uh, you know, looking around the room. I mean, you can just see, you know, these, these gals are squirming in their seats. And I said, you know what, for a lot of you, it was your creativity that got you sitting right where you are today, your creativity. I said, think about what you could do if you focused that creativity in a positive direction rather than a negative one. They all giggled and poked each other, but you know, we're forever trying to help them figure that out. How can you use the creativity? that got you in a slammer, but use that in a positive way. And there's some people who are ready and eager to work and really do have pleasing personalities. Now you may need to have them bonded, but that that can be worked out. That's not unmanageable at all. And you might find that to be a great labor pool for what you want. They're looking for an opportunity. They aren't going to be candidates for running their own business or going out and soliciting to get the business like you can do but may make great work team for you. Kristen from Ventura, California says, Dan, my husband and I are ready to have no more Mondays. We have a few business ideas, but are having trouble figuring out how to start any of them. We would really like to start a business like TaskRabbit, but for our own county, how do we get started beyond building a website? Uh, Do we need a complex website to get started? What's the best way to build a website from scratch? I've been playing around with Joomla." Any thoughts? I'm tired of delaying. Would it be beneficial to get business coaching? How can you afford business coaching when you aren't making any money? Well, uh, you got a whole bunch of cre- questions there, Kristen. If you want to do something like TaskRabbit, and I, m- I talked about that, I think a few weeks ago, TaskRabbit, you can go, go there and look at that. It's task, D a S K rabbit.com. And you'll find that you can, if you want somebody to go get groceries for you, you can, if you want somebody to check in on your elderly mom, Once a day, you can. If you want somebody to wash windows, boom, it doesn't matter. If you want somebody to come over and give your computer a tune-up or somebody to come over and mow your yard. It's all those kind of things. So it's not high-tech things like Elance or Guru.com, some of those other ones where it's tech skills or graphic skills, but just whatever you want done. I would learn from them. Learn everything you can about what they're doing. I'd sign up to provide services through them. So you learn everything you can if you want to do something like that. So you can figure out how can you do what they're doing, but do it 10% better. There may be some way to do a joint venture with TaskRabbit in your county. So you use their infrastructure rather than having to recreate it all on your own. Don't get bogged down when you're doing a new business in building websites and things like that. I mean, how do you build a website? I have no idea how you build a website from scratch. I have never built a website never will. It's too easy to find people that do that and do it really well. So I focus on what am I trying to accomplish here? I focus on the business concepts, not those technical details. I mean, there may be a few of you who can do those things well, but for the most part, I don't find that to be true. People who have great ideas and can launch an idea usually don't have the technical skills to do all the other things that need to be done to support it. Just do those. Now, these are not things that are expensive. Should you get business coaching? Well, you know, if you've been listening to me, I'm one to pull the trigger on that instantly when there's an area where I want to have improvement. I get coaching in that area. I see that as a reasonable trade-off. You know, it's funny how people say, well, I can't afford, you know, coaching. I can't afford to pay somebody $500 to coach me. But then they'll go enroll in a class on, you know, the economics of the former USSR, you know, and pay for that because they think that's going to somehow have some unknown value for them. And they pay $3,000 for a college course. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? Pay for something that has immediate application and what you really want to do. So get coaching, getting coaching can be in lieu of registering at the community college or going to a university. If it helps you get to where you want to be. So don't begrudge the fact that you may have to pay a coach to help you more quickly get to the success that you want. Well, speaking of coaching, Robert says, Dan, I've heard you comment that a good sign for someone who wants to be a coach is if you're already being approached for advice. Is this a prerequisite for being a coach? Does your class, and I assume you're talking about our coaching, for ex, coaching with excellence live event that we do, does your coaching with excellence teach us how to position ourselves so that others begin to seek our advice? You know, this is somewhat of a circular question, Robert. It's a very legitimate question. I thank you for sending it in. That is one of the questions that I ask people instantly when they say, Dan, can I be a coach? My question is, are people already seeking you out for your advice and opinion? If they are, then we can probably tweak some things and pretty quickly position you as a respected and reputable coach. If, people are not seeking you out for your advice, then I really question if you ought to go in that direction to try to be a coach. Now I've seen people who've done this. They never had anybody on the face of the earth ask them for advice or opinion, but they decided they want to be a coach. So they uh, get certified, they get credentials so they know how to coach and they never get a coaching client. And I think that th- this is like the question a-, a few back where I said, hire for attitude, train for skill. I don't think we can start with somebody who's never been asked for their opinion and teach them how to coach effectively. Can we teach them the dynamics of coaching? Yes, we can. But there's must be something lacking in their personality or people would already be approaching them. So the people that have the easiest path to be effective and very profitable coaches are like pastors who have been doing that for years. Or people who have already had their own business and they're used to having people coming to them and ask them or just a, a, a great listening ear as a housewife. I mean, again, you don't have to have been in a position of authority, but if people have been, I mean, Joanne, my wife, is a beautiful example of this. She can't go to the grocery store without having four people stop her and ask her for help, ask her for opinion. Now, I say, I, I tell her, you know, honey, you've got it stamped in your forehead you know, ask me anything. And she just connects with people with her eyes. You know, so people will say, golly, I can't find the mayonnaise. you know? Well, sure. I mean, she'll walk them over to where it is, but then it also gets very easily into other things, you know, where people say, I mean, total strangers, you know, approach her and say, you know, I'm really struggling right now. You know, do you just have a minute to talk to me? Because she just comes across as somebody who's compassionate and caring and understanding. So I think there's a reasonable question that if somebody, if people are not flocking to you already and asking your advice and opinion, then my question is, why would you want to be a coach? Why would you choose that? Why not choose something where you already have a natural kind of affinity for it, a natural feel for it. And I think you'd be better off to go in that direction. Let me grab a couple more here. Well, here's one. Um, Michael says, Dan, I downloaded all your podcast." When I found out listened to two or three of them a day, it got me ramped up. I started working on my business that I've always wanted to do. Um, when I ran out of your podcast, I listened to some saved up Dave Ramsey exhausted that now with the two plus hours of uplifting inspirational audio to listen to every day. I'm losing steam for my business. So I come to my question, whether the other podcasts are the, that are really similar to yours and Dave Ramsey's I've read through all your free material, about your 48 days I can't get enough encouraging material Thanks again, Michael. Well, golly, what a great, you're on a roll. I love your enthusiasm for what it is you're doing there. Get Success Magazine by all means. Success Magazine, I mean, devour it when you get it. I mean, what a bargain. I think it's, I don't know, 21 bucks a year or something. You get it every month and it has in it an audio CD that's usually about an hour long. I usually listen to those audios four or five times. So just that one alone will give you that kind of content that links you to all kinds of other things. You'll hear other people on there being interviewed, see them interviewed in the magazine where you'll want to go get more content from those people. I've done that hundreds of times. Check out Nightingale Conant out of Chicago. They're the granddaddies of having audio content. Now, these are going to be audio programs, but I have hundreds of those and have listened to thousands of hours of that. That opened the door for me on the success path like probably nothing else. Also, just go to iTunes and scroll through the podcast. I mean, put in categories of areas of interest that are going to appeal to you. I mean, there's lots of things. I mean, I devour the things by Gary Vaynerchuk and Guy Kawasaki and Seth Godin. And golly, there's all kinds of other people, but you need to find those that appeal to you. I mean, just like finding a coach that you would want to look, work with, you know, interview three or four of them to find one that you really mesh with, do the same thing with podcast. I mean, they're going to be people whose voice is annoying to you. I mean, John Maxwell has done tons of material on leadership. I have a hard time listening to, to John. He still sounds like a pastor. He still sounds like he's up front speaking down to the little kids who are sitting in front of him. Now, that's just me. I mean, tons of people love his material. I think he sounds condescending and like he's the the chief and everybody else's Indians. So I don't listen to his stuff. Now I read his books. That's a different way of getting his, his content. But you have to make that decision. But there's a lot of stuff out there that you can, you can certainly grow from okay well hey just one more here and we're going to be out of time Dan what's the difference between a webinar and a teleseminar I want to look into offering something like this for my clients my growing um, blog list well a webinar just implies that you're going to have video content in addition to the audio whereas a teleseminar traditionally is just audio no right or wrong about that. I prefer the teleseminars. Now I know there's a lot of new technology out there and there are a lot of people that think if the technology is available, then we ought to be using it. I don't think that I don't think that you have to be on Facebook and Twitter and blogging and podcast and newsletters and social networks. I mean, you'll drive yourself nuts just trying to keep up, choose the things that work well for you. I prefer teleseminars because it's just audio. I have watched myself on video. I do a lot of interviews with other people who insist on doing Skype video interviews. And I think it's distracting. I would rather just hear the content. And that also gives somebody the option to listen to you while they're mowing the lawn or going for a walk or doing whatever, traveling or whatever. Whereas with video, they could not do that. So I think it limits your audience by including video. Now, again, there are going to be people who absolutely insist Video has to be included because we have the technology to do it. I think that's short-sighted. We can still choose how to do business effectively. Well, Hey, thanks for your questions. Keep those rolling in. You can go to the podcast link at 48days.com. Look at the red starburst answer or, or send in your question there. But however you're doing it, continue to be on this path of learning. There's so many opportunities to learn, take advantage of the things that are happening out there. Hey, this is Dan Miller. Thanks for the time together here in this growing 48 Days community. Get a part of 48days.net and continue finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Make it happen. Knock it out of the park this week.